What a privilege it is to be back with you again this evening. And, uh, you know, it's so cool. Uh, Lauren was one of my students. Dalen's one of my students. It's just cool to have these moments. I'm just telling you, this is like emotional. Got some things happening here. All the people that I mentioned this morning. And then I even forgot one. Scott Whalen. Scott and Ann. My goodness. Just a whole bunch of emotions here. Like God brings these things full circle where we get to get to be a part of each other's stories. And so thank you for allowing me to be a part of your story. So this morning we, we talked about grace because I believe that if God is going to ignite something in us, it's, it's as we come face to face again with the character of God. That's really what we're talking about, right? Grace is coming to, coming to terms with who is this God that wants to spark something, ignite something, set something ablaze in our lives so that our lives then spread that fire beyond us, right? And that is coming face to face with the grace that God is calling us into. But then we have to ask the question, once we come face to face with that grace, what is the story to which we have been called into that then shapes and forms our lives so that we can be sent out with a good news word, which is in that story, and that story is the scriptures. But we got to ask some questions about how you and I are going to read the scriptures together, all right? So we're going to deal with, can we deal with the Bible tonight? Is that all right? Can we do that? That'd be okay? Well, let me pray. Lord, uh, again, I find myself here on a Sunday night. Sterling, Illinois, uh, a place that has marked my life, and I'm just kind of living in a lot of nostalgia right now. Um, thank you for that. Uh, when I was messaging Kim, he just said how, Lord, you bring things full circle, and I feel like I'm living in that right now. What a gift. Now, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach which we know is a miracle, right? Because it's not about what I can do or what I can say. So somehow, Lord, I'm going to need you to step in and do what only you can do. Take your word for your people through your spirit to bring your change. Because as you do that, knowing full well what I'm incapable of, if something happens in our lives, if something happens as a result of what takes place in these moments, we know that there's only one place to point, and that is to you. So at the, end of, at the end of tonight, at the end of this week, as, as, as you begin to ignite something in us, we can only say praise be to Jesus, praise be to God, for you are faithful. So Lord, we give you glory in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. And all of God's people said, amen. Can I tell you about a question that I found myself asking a lot when I first became an apprentice of Jesus? I like to call it apprentice, disciple, right? I like the, I like the word apprentice because it, it feels very active for me. Like there's this master who has gone before us and that we, as those who follow the master, are only ever apprentices. You realize that, right? We're, we're never experts. And some of y'all have been following Jesus for a while. You know that you're never finished. And just about the time you think you, you've earned your expert degree, Jesus calls you a little bit further and reminds you just how much of an apprentice you really are. So I, I, as, I, as I started to read the scriptures, I would have this, this reverberating question in the back of my heart and my mind. And it was always this question, is anyone else reading this stuff? Right? Because when you're brand new to the faith, that's the question that you find. Is anyone else reading? So now I told you this, I told you this morning, my story was not marked with, you know, coming out of the womb, singing great is thy faithfulness. 
And, and if you'd asked me at most points in my journey, if being a pastor was ever on my career path, the answer would have been new. I was supposed to be working for a governmental agency at this point and doing very well and preparing for retirement early. That was my plan. God said, no, you're going to follow me. And I said, oh, okay. And then, and then I realized, if I'm going to follow this God and this, this Jesus who has just called me, I should probably get to know what this is all about. So I, I started reading the scriptures, and I would find myself reading stories that I had never heard about, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but beyond that Old Testament. Now, I was, I was accustomed enough with the cinematic versions, right? I, I knew Moses and the Ten Commandments, although I used to get Moses and Noah always confused. Um... I knew Daniel in the lion's den because I just thought that was kind of a cool story. A little odd, a little weird. Not a place I would opt to go. But still very interesting. But for the most part, I was clueless. So I start reading these stories. And, and I, I'm a kind of an all or nothing kind of guy. So um, when I got saved, it was like, I'm in. And so being in, I, like, I started devouring the scriptures. Like I had within the first three months of being a Christian read all of the New Testament and within a few months after that, I'd read the entire Old Testament. Like, I just couldn't get enough. And I was absorbed in it. I was like, and I would have these moments where I was like, I'd read it. and I'd, Wow, this is, and then I was introduced to this guy named Paul. Y'all know him? Wrote like a significant chunk of the back part of the New Testament. Like, I read the Gospels, but I studied Paul. Like, Paul was fascinating to me, which we don't even realize how often we bring certain biases into how we handle Scripture. So here's my problem. I became obsessed with Paul. So I started reading everything that came after Jesus, but didn't really spend enough time reading about Jesus. And that can affect how we follow Jesus. Because we end up following Jesus through Paul instead of following, following Paul through Jesus. <laughs> right? So God stopped me in my tracks and like made me camp out in the gospels. And when I say camped out, like I, he wouldn't let me go. I, I remember I was brand, I mean, I was early on in this journey and I was absorbing all, I didn't understand most of it, but I was absorbing it. Like I was just reading it. And, and God took me to John first and like six months spent time in John. Then it was, then it was Mark and then Luke. I know you shouldn't have favorites, right? We love all of the Bible. Yes. I really like Luke. And then, and then I read Matthew, and then, and then I would read, again, some of the New Testament and the Old Testament, and I would find myself too often, like, as I'm reading these scriptures by myself, I would encounter yet another story, and I would have these moments where I would, like, by myself look around and go, is anyone, is anyone reading this? Because here, as a new Christian, I couldn't square something. I kept asking myself, how could we collectively be reading these stories and yet as the church be so unaffected by the things these stories seem to speak about? You ever, you ever ask yourself that question? How, how as the church could we be reading these stories and yet remain silent about the things that Jesus wanted to speak up about? indifference to the kind of injustices that should keep us awake at night, pushing away. How could we read these stories, pushing away and keeping out the very people that Jesus seemed to be obsessed with going to? 
I couldn't square it. How do you make sense of a Jesus who comes with vulnerable confidence to the powers that be and puts himself on the line for those who had no power, those who were on the periphery of society, and yet came as a humble servant to those that everyone wanted to disregard. And I would look around at the church and I would go, is anyone reading this? But see, that was the, that was the problem. I was asking the wrong question. See, I was asking the question, is anyone reading this? Well, of course they were. We got them on calendars and apps, and we've got them on little things you can put, put on your desk, and you can tear one away each day and read your little snippet. You can get reminders and notifications, and we've all, a lot of us as Christians, we got like 12 Bibles in the house. Like, we're reading it. That's the wrong question. It's not if we're reading it. The question is this. How? Are you reading it? That's the question. At the risk of boring you tonight, can I tell you a well-worn Jesus story? Now, I say boring you because inevitably, there's certain stories in the text that we become so accustomed to that when the preacher says, I'm going to tell you this story, everybody sort of does this collective eye roll. Do they not teach you any other stories in the Bible but that one? Right? Like, y'all know, because, you know, like, I've heard this one before. And immediately I start talking about it, we start to mentally check out, like, I know how it goes. Give us something new. Well, I'm not going to do it tonight. I'm going to give you something old. Something that you've heard before. Something you could probably tell me. Something you could probably repeat back to me, especially if you've been in church any time. Because I think if we're not careful, we're going to become so accustomed to certain stories that they lose their punch. Right? Like, there's a Certain stories want to poke around in places and make us uncomfortable. So the story that I'm going to tell you is the parable that many of you know. It's called the parable of the twisted teacher. Now some of you are like, uh, I don't know that one. Right? Now I, okay, I might have changed the label. You've heard it said the parable of the good Samaritan. But I don't think that that's the right title for this. Because I'm not convinced that that story is ultimately about the Good Samaritan. I actually think something else is happening in the story. See, we tend to think, we tend to think the story is about the guy who falls prey to a couple people who beat him up and leave him on the side of the road in the gutter and he's broken and bruised and two people walk by that should have done something but they didn't do something. They kept on going but then there's another guy who comes by who generally would not have done something. He does something, picks him up, dusts him off, takes him to an inn, pays for him, says if there's anything more I'll come back and then the moral of the story so we can all go home and eat our lunch is go do that. You're like sweet. Message over. Done. Good. It is dinner time. Stop. Because Luke actually wants to tell us how the story needs to be read. This is why we pay attention to Luke, okay? Because Luke's a detail guy. So this is Luke chapter 10. Why don't you hear this? Luke chapter 10. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbors yourself. <laughs> Jesus answered, well, you've answered that correctly. Do this and you will live. 
But he wanted to justify himself. And so he asked, uh, while we're at it, who is my neighbor? Anyone reading this stuff? Because remember, the question I used to ask, are we reading it? Off the table. We're reading it. We know this story. We've got clinics with the name Good Samaritan. Like, this story is so cultural. Like, I wasn't even a Christian and I'd have heard of Good Samaritans. Not the point. So I love how the story unfolds. An expert of law comes up, with, comes up to Jesus with a little bit of a theological task, text. How do, I, how do I inherit eternal life? How do I secure my position amongst God's chosen elect ones? And Jesus draws him in. I love this. Jesus draws him in. What does it say? Now, folks, he was setting him up. Y'all got to understand that. Totally set him up. Like, he's the law, the law expert's would have known the first, understand this, the first five books of the Bible, what was called the Torah, would have known them by memory. Y'all, can you imagine that? Some of us are trying to do that Bible verse a day and we're like, that's too much. First five books, and not just what the books said, but the rabbinic interpretations of those texts as well. That's what they would have known. So asking the legal expert, what does the law say, would be asking like Pastor Dennis, hey, so what's the Lord's Prayer? That, that's, that's what it would have been like. So he knew that he knew what it said. But it's the second question we got to pay attention to. How do you read it? See, that's the game changer. See, Jesus seemed to understand that we can all be reading the same thing and arrive at very different destinations. How we read the text of Scripture is often a reflection of our posture before God and how much we give ourselves to loving others. How we read the, text, how we read the text of Scriptures is often how we practice the text of Scriptures. Now, I want, I want to camp out here for just a moment, all right? I'm going to get back to what comes next here in just a moment. Don't worry, we're going to get back to the story. But before I do that, I, I want to suggest to us that my early days of frustration with the church had nothing to do with how little or much we were reading it, but had everything to do with, with what I was realizing how we were reading the story of Jesus. See, we don't ever read the scriptures in a vacuum. We just don't. You and I, we come to the scriptures carrying a lot of stuff. We're just usually unaware of the stuff that we come to the scriptures with. And it's the stuff that we bring to the scriptures when we want to read the text that ultimately determines how we read the text, which then interprets how we apply the text to the lives of the people that we come in contact with every single day. And so, what are the kinds of things that we bring to the text? Well, let's be honest. We bring, for instance, life experience to the text. Now, if you grew up in a setting or a situation where God was always viewed as some sort of drunk, angry daddy, you know, y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Those are the images of God in which God is always ready to lash out at you. He's unpredictable. He's arbitrary in his wrath and rage, always ready to make you pay for whatever issue that he had problems with you in that moment. If you grow up that way, you're, that's going to affect how you apply that text in, the, in your life and in the lives of others. 
If you've, if you've grown up in certain situations where you have felt the full weight of human brokenness because of the damage that has been done to your soul, it makes you ask a lot of questions about who is this God and what am I reading here? See, we read the text through the lens of our life experiences, through the things that we bring to the text. And sometimes we project that stuff upon God. And so we carry that to the text. And and that affects how we, sometimes we get stuck not bearing out the good news to others because we have yet to become convinced that it's all that good news to us. Because life has sometimes led us to that place. So sometimes there's a confession that needs to be made there. But, but here's the deal. It's, it's, not just, it's not just life experiences. It's also, can I just, can I give us one that is the blessing of about being a guest preacher because I get to go home? I think one of the things that affects our reading of scriptures and what we do with it is our, what I call our longstanding allegiances. Folks, we are tribal folk. We love to group up with people who think like us, act like us, talk like us, are like us, vote like us. And in gathering up as tribal folk, we find ourselves leaning into the scripture, asking the scripture to say to us what our collective group has already said that it should say. We call this confirmation bias. So God, we've already made up our mind on what this text should say as a group because we're obviously an us and they're a them and us have the truth, them don't. And so Lord, would you just tell us what we already know so that we can tell them that they're wrong? I know nobody's ever done that, right? No one's ever prayed the prayer, Lord, them folk, you gotta fix them right? No one's ever gone to the scripture looking for that thing that it needs to say so that you can tell them what they need to know. See, we love to group up. We love to find ourselves a part of a group that feels like we've got this figured out and that we know. And what we end up doing is a lot of times pushing out the thems because they're not quite in us. Which I think Jesus is going to say something about here in just a minute. And then I think there's limitations. So there's life experiences and then there's long-standing allegiances and then there's limitations that we bring to the text. You know, if I'm not careful, I can make God pretty small, pretty tame, pretty much fit, fit the boxes that I'm most comfortable with. And one of the things that I love about Jesus, and I think one of the reasons why I find myself constantly asking the question, is anyone else reading this? Is because when I, when I read the scriptures, I am brought face to face with my agendas and my assumptions and my limited perspectives and the things that I can't make sense of, but that God's love and his grace and his invitation into the whole of creation to be restored and re- reconciled and redeemed is so much bigger than my small little mind can grab a hold of. And so I come with it expectations when what I need to come is, Lord, disrupt my expectations. And here's really the issue, okay? So we bring all this stuff. We come toting our baggage to the text. And it's not just that either we're reading or not reading. It's not just that how we read it. It's, it's here, here's the issue. How we read it 
affects what we do with it. We do how we read. Y'all, y'all with me on that? We do how we read. So, so let's go back to the story here. Just a minute. So the man gives Jesus the right answer. So love the Lord, you're out with all your heart, mind, strength, love your neighbors yourself, right? And we all go, yay. And Jesus says, got it, do that. And then this is where the parable really becomes about the parable of the twisted teacher and not about the Samaritan at all. Because the teacher betrays how he reads with the next question. He says, while we're at it, who's my neighbor? You know what he's trying to do there, right? He's trying to read it in such a way that he can establish firmly that I am an us and I got to figure out who the them are. In my reading of scripture, Jesus, in my reading of the law, in, in my reading of what I'm being called to by God, do I get to in any way bracket out the group of people that I should feel concerned about, responsible for, or love as my name? Jesus, is there a statute of limitations on who I get to claim as my neighbor? How do you read it? Jesus, I get it, my neighbor. You mean the ones easiest to love, right? Jesus, I, I get it, my neighbor, but they're the ones that they're the ones that fit my definition of acceptability, right? The ones that I could feel most easily responsible for. But not them. Not that side of the aisle. Or that side of the aisle. Whichever side that you want to find yourself on. Not from that group, not from that family, not from those people, not, not, not the ones who came here legally or illegally, not them, not the ones that, not the ones that my political party tells me okay to love, right? So, so who, who is, is my neighbor? See, this isn't about the Samaritan. The Samaritan story is only used as an example to illustrate where the teacher had gone wrong in his reading of Scripture. Then Jesus tells the story of the man who's beat down, left in the ditch. Two pass by. The ones that, you're, the ones that were told, they, the ones that knew what the text said. They're the ones that pass by. Are we reading it? Yes, but how are we reading it? And then he says, one stops. And here's what that stop re reminds us of. That when we read the scripture well, it's always a story, not a story of an us versus them, but an us with them. Or better yet, an us for them. Or better yet, even in this story, them for us. Because when Jesus tells the story, y'all realize what he did right there, right? 
The two that stopped were the ones who knew what it said, but had chosen how to read it, and they read it interpretively, incorrectly. But the one who they would have said doesn't know the truth because he's one of those dirty, rotten, scoundrel Samaritans that no one would ever want to claim as a neighbor. He's the one who does the law. He's the one that extends kindness, mercy, and compassion because his doing of the law displayed the understanding of who God was. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hand of robbers, Jesus asked? I love this. The expert in the law couldn't even bring himself to say the name Samaritan. He says, the one who had mercy on He couldn't even... He, he had so us and them them that even in the face of the story, he could not in his mind bring himself to acknowledge or to admit that it was the Samaritan that was the neighbor. And if you read the text correctly, Jesus says, it will lead you to do the word faithfully. Because how you read it, I can tell you how you read it by what you do with it. And among whom you do it too. And in the ways in which it flows out of your life into the lives of others. Now, can I tell you one really cool part? Now I'll stop. Do you know later that Jesus is going to be asked the same question? Do you all know that, right? In this passage in Luke, the expert of the law gives the answer. But if you go all the way to Matthew 22, Jesus is asked by another group of people, hey, what's the greatest law? And he gives the same answer. It's a great passage. Jesus asked, so what's the greatest law? Love the Lord your God with heart, all your heart, mind, strength, soul. Love your neighbors yourself. It's this, but how Jesus reads it is very different. Because how Jesus reads the text led him towards people and not away from them. Led him in an open posture with open arms, not closed fists, ready to fight anyone who didn't think like him or act like him. How Jesus read the text compelled him into those lost spaces and those broken places and among those left out faces, among the bruised and the broken and the battered and the weary and those wounded by life. That's where the text led Jesus to go. See how Jesus read the text. It led him into places of reconciliation where forgiveness became the primary commodity of the kingdom, where we enter into a space with one another, where we learn how to say, I want to do life with you. I want to be with you. I want to be for you. I want you to be for me. How Jesus read the text led him to a group of nobodies. Folks, his early apprentices, ragtag group of no ones. Some of us need to hear that. That the ones who will change the world would be the ones that everyone would have read the text and bypassed. But his reading of the text led him to go, wait a minute, oh, no, no, no. Throughout the entire history of the Old Testament, God would choose those who were always bypassed, left out, and had excuses why they shouldn't be used. They're the ones that God uses to change the world. And some of y'all, wait, whoa, whoa, my, my story says that? Yep, it does. So if you're amongst that group who feels like there's no way you can possibly be, be used, 
read it again because that's who Jesus specifically says can be used. How Jesus reads the text means that it sends him to the cross as the sacrifice of giving himself away to others for the sake of their redemption and their reconciliation and their restoration. How Jesus reads the text is that he lives by this self-giving, holy love. How Jesus reads the text, he would call the unjust into account for their actions and he would weep with the grieving and he would embolden the vulnerable and he saw worth in the face of every single person that he encountered. He couldn't write anyone off. That's how Jesus read the text. Evidenced and displayed in what he did with the text. And I start to wonder, what if we ask the question, how are we reading the text? What if we, what if we read the text in such a way that we begin to believe that the God who at the beginning of all creation created a, 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 a space and a place where he could look over and celebrate and say, it is good. And that even though the thing that God had created and made is good, we ended up making not so good. That God never gave up on the good that God was making. That he's always been in the good making of business. And that God has always been calling humanity to join him in this good making business because God wants to restore, reconcile, redeem, and, 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 and renew all that has become bad so that at the end of of history that God can say once again, oh, that's really good. What if, we, what if we took that in? And what if we started to believe that if God does that, then that means that everything that I do in every single day is participating in God's good making of the world. That means every time I go out to have lunch or dinner or go anywhere or find myself in any place, I become an ambassador of this really good news story where I just simply get to good news people everywhere I go. Did you know that? You, you get to do that. If God's making things good, you're just a good newser. Your life lives as a good news. Like, that's what you end up doing. So you bump up against the person who, whose life is wrecked and broken with dysfunction and sinfulness, and instead of going, oh, you get to go, ooh, some good news. Release, from the, release for the captives, set the oppressed free, recovery of sight for the blind, good news for the poor. We get some really good news. And you start, you start, you start like a salt shaker, shaking that good news out wherever you go. You're like, no, 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 that's what, that's what Pastor Dennis does. He was called, ordained, let him do that. No, no, no. What if you started reading the scriptures and you started to begin to realize like Jesus did that there's no professionalization of the ministry of good newsing. That that is a, that is a position <laughs> that all of us are commissioned to. And that some of us are going, yeah, Jeff, but you don't know my story. What if I told you God does know your story? And it's very, it very, it very well could be that the very parts of your story that you think are so beyond redeemable that God wants to say, that's the part that I'm probably going to use to bring change to someone's life. And you're like, whoa, even that part? And God goes, yep, even that part. You mean the part that I don't let anybody in church know? Yep, that one. Because if you, give, if you give him space to, he's going to bring you face to face with someone who's been down that path, who thinks that path leads to nothingness, and you can say, but God. 
Right? What if we started reading the scriptures that way? What if we started reading the scriptures in such a way where we wouldn't give, we wouldn't give ourselves to the myth that division and hatred and fighting seems to be the best, best ways of the day. We, we live in an angry world. We live in a world that's ready to take shots at each other. We're, we're always poised for a fight, right? I don't care if it's online or if it's some of us passive aggressively, whatever that looks like, we're poised for a fight. What if we read the, what if we read the scriptures? What if we really read the scriptures and we went, blessed are the peacemakers. Those who take a shot on the cheek and turn the other. Who forgive because we've been forgiven. And what if we read those, not as like some sort of utopian ideal, Jesus, that's a good idea, but you know me. <laughs> I always love that. I would get, I get people in my congregation, they always say like, well, that's just who I am. I love that. And I'd be like, you know who else says that? Three-year-olds. And we tell them to grow up. <laughs> what if Jesus doesn't want to simply leave us as we are, but call us into who we've been created to be? And in doing so, we become, listen to this. L listen, I want you to think about this. What if you woke up and you began to realize that tomorrow morning, the person you encountered might be, you might for them be the only scripture they ever read. And that they're going to see through your life what you really believe about scripture. See, we want the, we need to put the Bible back in the, back in the schools, back in our society. And I want to say we need to put the Bible back in Christians so that through the Christian, they can see the heart of God, which then may want to lead them to what is this book you all been reading to get you to act like that? that that's the change. So I, I wonder for you tonight, or would you mind come up? I, I wonder for you tonight, If someone was to look at your life, would they be able to tell how you read the scripture? If someone was to watch your life and your treatment of them, which is not really them, but a we, because like I said this morning, we are all in the need of the same grace. But if people were to watch your life and they would see you in your interactions with others, would they be able to tell how you read the Bible? And would your life convey such a story that they'd want to know who this God that your story points to? Maybe some of us would say today, you know what? I think maybe, maybe I need to learn to read the Bible like Jesus does so that my life reflects Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul. I'm not holding anything back. Love your neighbor, period. Instead of loving your neighbor, which ones? But just period. And then maybe some of you are going, you know what? I know who that neighbor is. No, seriously, some of you are thinking to yourself right now, I know who that neighbor is that I've been trying to bracket out. I, not intentionally, 
but I've given myself permission to not, to not be that engaged, to not care that much, to sort of bracket them out. And that tonight you'd say, you know what? Lord, I'm pretty sure you're calling me to them. So here's what I want to do tonight is, is Lauren's going to lead us in this last worship song. The altars are going to be open. They always are. It's the beauty of the Nazarene church. We leave the altars open. Maybe somebody would say tonight, you know what? I need my life to more adequately reflect the how I'm supposed to be reading the scripture. Or someone would say, we've got all these here, these, these note cards. And what a great opportunity for some of you to say, you know what? I know who, I know who that neighbor is that I've been trying to give myself permission to not consider my neighbor. And you would just write their first name on this. And then you would pin that up on that prayer thing so that we can begin to pray for those neighbors that you didn't want to be your neighbor, but God's saying they're your neighbor. And you got to care. And I wonder what it would look like when this, start, this place starts filling up with the kind of neighbors we once would have maybe dismissed so that we can demonstrate in our lives the goodness and grace of Jesus. Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray for you and then we're going to lead in worship. If anybody's got that name they're already thinking of, or you just need to say, Lord, I need an adjustment in my life right now so that my life represents the good news story of the gospel. Father, this is a vulnerable moment. Some of us, some of us can feel in our souls what we've brought to the text and the way that that has caused us to maybe give ourselves permission to not apply the story of scriptures in the way that that we should. And so Lord, maybe there's some repentance that has to happen. Maybe there's an asking of you, Lord, to help us to embody, to live it out. But then for some of us, we're, we're thinking of that name right now, that person. They're, they're right there. That's that coworker, that family member, that real physical neighbor, the one who lives next door that has been antagonistic this whole time. Lord, help us to care for them. May we name them. May we pray for them. And may we wait upon how you can reconcile their lives as you have ours through that indiscriminate grace we talked about this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you